Hello and welcome to another episode of Streaming Science, a creative student-run podcast series from the University of Nebraska-Lincoln. We bring the science directly to you. The goal of Streaming Science is to increase science literacy through interactive discussion with scientists about topics that affect your everyday life. I'm your host, Andrea Walk, a junior agricultural and environmental sciences communication major from Hay Center. This episode of Streaming Science is focused on water. As a UNL student, I was drawn to this topic because we often forget our role in a natural cycle. I researched more on water conservation and found out that humans forget to put themselves on the map of the water cycle and that Innovation Campus here at UNL is a great resource for more information in this area. Joining me today is Nick Brozovic. Thank you for joining me here today on this podcast of Streaming Science. Go ahead and tell us your name and kind of maybe your job description. So my name is Nick Brozovic and thank you very much for having me on. Uh, I'm Director of Policy at the Doherty Water for Food Global Institute and I'm also an Associate Professor in Agricultural Economics at UNL. That's a very diverse job description. Um, so if you had to describe what your daily life looks like, what does that look like I guess on like a weekly basis of like activities that you're involved with? Yeah, so, so my daily life is generally quite complicated and I never know quite what I'm going to be doing. My appointment is split between research, teaching and administration. So the teaching side is pretty straightforward. I'm currently teaching two classes, an undergraduate and a graduate class. That's quite standard. On the administrative side, I do um, a lot of policy research and policy assistance around water management in agriculture. So that job entails uh, doing everything from working with uh, Uh, agriculture producers in western Nebraska spending time with equipment dealers uh, on the farm out to then working with water managers, state policy makers, uh, political appointees, uh, up to ministers both in the US and and internationally and trying to help understand what are the ways in which we can we're managing water, what's working, what isn't working and how can we manage water better. That's a pretty diverse set of people you get to work with. What would you say is your favorite part? So my favorite part of the job is in fact the people. That water and working in water brings out some real characters and it makes it really fun. So um, getting to meet people, hearing their stories, how they got interested in water, what they do, um, that's really fun. The other part about water and working in water management that's really fun is that a lot of the most interesting things you find are not uh, written up in scientific journals or written up in newspapers. They, they're buried. There are lots of sort of buried stories and you get hints of them and then you have to kind of track them down and, and it's never what you expected but you always learn a lot and hopefully at the end it makes a lot of sense. So let's step back a little bit. Tell us about where you grew up, what you were like as a kid and how that transformed into what you're doing now? Okay, Uh, great question. So I grew up in in the United Kingdom, in London, in suburban London, Uh, and as a kid uh, I was very into hiking, camping, traveling. I ended up studying geology at university, partly because I liked traveling and being in mountains, and the idea of being paid to do that sounded pretty good. I then, after my undergraduate degree, came to the U.S. for grad school and uh, got a master's degree in geology. And where was that at? That was at the University of Southern California. Uh, And that was a really fun experience. So um, L.A. was very different from growing up in in the United Kingdom, but it was a great place to be young. I traveled an enormous amount. I worked uh, in the Himalayas for my field work. And then I ended up moving to Berkeley to do a PhD in geology uh, and uh, ultimately ended up 
switching out of geology into agricultural economics because I had gotten more interested in the policy side of natural resource management. Uh, and that was an interesting shift. If, if you live in California, it's very easy to get involved with water. Water issues are incredibly important in California. Of course, they've been in the news a lot the last couple of years between the drought and the flood. Um, but when I was in grad school, much the same thing was happening in, in a previous cycle. And so I got interested in uh, water management and the economics and policy of water management, and in particular being able to apply my scientific background to some of those economic and policy questions. After finishing grad school, I then moved to Illinois to Champaign-Urbana as an assistant professor and continued to work there and got particularly involved in agricultural water management issues, uh, both a little bit in Illinois, but then elsewhere in the US and internationally. Uh, and then ultimately uh, moved to Nebraska uh, three years ago to take up my role here at the Institute. So looking at all the experience you had, what would you say are issues that consumers should know about with water and agriculture and the connection between the two? That's also a great question. I think many consumers and in general, many members of the public don't really understand exactly where their food comes from and to what extent the uh, global food security and the global economy depends on water. So, for example, here in Nebraska, uh, we have more irrigated acres than anywhere else in the world. And that also translates to having, because most of those irrigated acres are from groundwater, we have more private investment in irrigation technology and equipment than anywhere else in the world. And so, but people don't really realize that. They don't realize how important that is to the economy. You look at facts about over time, the role of agriculture in the economy gets less and less, but really food security is important to everyone. And that's a very hard communications problem. We have one project that we're working on looking at the role of humans in the water cycle. And if you ask people to draw water cycles, almost without exception, they'll draw water cycles that don't have people in them. Mm. And that's an interesting communications problem because many of our water policy issues are because of the ways in which we use water and what implications that has elsewhere in the system. And it's hard to get people to understand about water policy if they don't really view themselves as part of the water cycle. And so that's a piece that, that we're working on and uh, we'll have some materials out there at the Water for Food Institute in the coming months. What would you say got you interested then? You talked about hiking and climbing and that kind of stuff. What was guided you towards this specific path? Um, I would say random events. <laughs> yeah, my career has been very opportunistic. I, I wish I could say that there was some forethought involved, but uh, I tend to be opportunistic in the, in the projects and places that I go to. And um, yeah, looking back, of course, I can construct some careful argument that I meant to do this all along, but that's certainly not the truth of it. So. Um, knowing that you work for the Water for Food Institute, can you tell us a little bit more about what the purpose of the Institute is and what it does? <clears throat> yeah, so the, the, the Water for Food Institute is a system-wide institute, so it sits across all of the University of Nebraska campuses, and its goal is to increase food and water security at the same time. So to increase the ability of uh, people around the world to meet their food security needs uh, without compromising water and the other uses uh, for water, whether that's for habitat or environment or public health. 
So uh, the Institute was founded in 2010 uh, with a gift from the Robert B. Doherty Foundation. And it really, in a sense, it has, you can think of it as having two separate missions. One is to be uh, the world expert in understanding water use in agriculture. And that's kind of a research and thought leadership mission. The second goal is to actually have impact on the ground, uh, both within Nebraska, within the region, and in other countries, to improve the use of water in agriculture. And so we have a number of projects both within the state, but then we have projects in South, uh, Sub-Saharan Africa, in India, uh, elsewhere in the US, in other countries. Uh, we also have an explicit mandate to work on public-private partnerships, so we work both with very large companies and with very small startup companies involved with agricultural technology and everything in between. What would you say would be your advice to the public specifically about their water use or what information is necessary for them to know knowing that humans are a huge issue as part of the water cycle? Yeah, that's a very good question. I think some of the responsibility is on, on us and the educational system to come up with uh, more compelling ways to tell stories. I work a lot on groundwater, and groundwater is, I think, to the general public, quite boring. Uh, even within a state such as Nebraska, where we have a very large groundwater resource here, our economy depends on it. But it's a, it's a tough thing to understand. It's underground. You can't see it. Um, it's not named very well, you know, groundwater. So just, it's a hard thing to understand what you do. But on the other hand, perhaps the way to do it is to tell stories about water, about the people that use water, how it affects their livelihoods. Uh, and that's, I think, what we're trying to do. It's easier to stand in a field and see the field being irrigated and tell a story about irrigation. But I think the scale of the ways in which we wa use water to grow food uh, are misunderstood. Um, what connection does your work and research have as far as economics go? Because you've touched on that. Yeah. So I'm, I'm trained as an economist, and so a lot of my work considers uh, what are the essentially the costs and benefits of different policies. So if you have a, a management goal for water, you, you can get there in many different ways. And some of them are um, <clears throat> politically very cheap, but economically very expensive. Some of them are economically very uh, cheap and politically expensive. Uh, and everything in between. So there are trade-offs in policy between efficiency and equity. And so understanding who's going to win, who's going to lose from a policy, who might be for it, who might be against it, how people will respond to policies. So I, I mentioned earlier that uh, one of the most interesting things about working in water is the stories that you hear. And a lot of those stories are about policies that were set up that were quite well-meaning but that the people that set them up didn't think through how people would respond. And in, in a lot of cases, the response to a policy can exacerbate an existing problem. And that's a, a large part of what economists studied. It sort of almost goes into the psychology and marketing side to understand some of the human behavior and incentives to behave one way or the other. So then what would you say to encourage young kids who may think of economics as a stereotype of being boring or uninteresting? Yeah, that's a, that's a good question. I taught introductory economics for many years, and <laughs> I'm not sure what I did to help that stereotype. 
economics is a set of tools that lets you tell stories about human behavior. And so I work in water resource or environmental economics. And so economics is, is one of the tools that you can use to tell stories about how people use water, how they value it, and how we might use it better. And so perhaps the focus is, should be more on the stories rather than the tools. That's probably the best description I think I've ever heard of economics, so thank you for that. What connection does economics then have to us? We kind of talked about the toolkit. Can we go a little bit more deep onto that as far as we as consumers, why should we care about economics? There's a number of different ways in which you should care about economics. One is, as a consumer, uh, that understanding... Uh, in a sense, you're, you pay money for food, and so understanding the cost of food, you need to understand how the supply chain works and how production works and how trade works uh, increasingly. But then also as a taxpayer, it's important to understand that where those taxes are going and what they're getting, uh, that's an important piece because the taxes do support various policies, uh, some of which increase the price of food, some of which decrease the price of food. Uh, some may be good for the environment, some may be bad for the environment. It's a very complicated tapestry. But also, many people themselves will go on to start businesses, and economics hits on entrepreneurship a fair amount. And understanding as a, as a business owner how you should go about developing a product or uh, making a profit is also an important part of economics. As far as we've talked a lot about your work, but what does your personal life look like as far as like hobbies, interests, family, work-life balance? What is that like for someone within your field? Yeah, so I guess that uh, very much depends on the person within the field. Uh, for myself, I have uh, three relatively young children, so a lot of my personal life focuses around them. As part of my professional life, I travel a lot. And again, that means that when I'm home, I try to spend as much time with the kids as possible. In terms of hobbies, I still like hiking. I still like camping. Uh, I'll say it's harder on my bones now than it was uh, <laughs> when I was young. My parents uh, still live in the UK, and so I try to visit them a lot. My wife's parents are also outside of Nebraska, so visiting family is a big piece there. Um, my final question is kind of what have you learned about yourself through all of this work that you've done and all these different areas that you've been able to visit and all these things that you've been able to see? Well, that's a, that's a tough question. Well, first of all, I feel very fortunate to have had the opportunity to have all of these experiences. Uh, what I've learned about myself, uh, I'm somebody that likes to uh, address puzzles. And so I like to find puzzles. I like to synthesize information. I often find in my work that I'm borrowing things that I've learned um, from sometimes many years ago or other projects and apply them in new ways to a project. I guess I have a, a curiosity to find out about new problems and, and figure out new ways of doing things. A final piece of advice for young people, again, going into this area, what would you encourage them to do or seek out or be a part of? Yeah, so I'd say, Try to get lots and lots of experiences, whether those are internships, summer internships, externships. Their water as a career, water resource management, there's not an easy way into it because it, there isn't, you don't get a degree in water management, certainly not as an undergraduate. But there are an enormous wealth of careers there, and I would say one thing you can do is informational interviews. A lot of the people that work in water also have very quirky stories for how they ended up working in water, and they're happy to share with students 
uh, how they got there and what they might recommend to do and you know everybody's happy to share their stories and their advice with others so just getting informed is the first step well thank you again for your time today and i appreciate you sharing your knowledge of water and all of your passions and hobbies as well as a little bit of your personal life great thank you very much it's my pleasure and thank you all for tuning into this episode to listen to more streaming science podcasts go to soundcloud.com slash streaming hyphen science i'm your host andrea walk